Hello and welcome! You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us on our magical journey through a wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. Alright, so you don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't tell you, right? I have no clue. I am entirely in the proverbial dark. Alright, so I'll give the intro and see if you can guess. Okay. Quibi is in over the top. Before we get started, I just want to give a huge shout out to research assistant Theo Collin, who did most of the research for this episode. Really was incredibly helpful and just helped me turn this into a full story. So, thanks. I'm going to say Quibi. Yes. Okay. Uh, Quibi is an over-the-top, I mean, not like literally over-the-top. Apparently that means like, it's not like through the FCC, it's just like directly through the internet. Oh, kind okay. of thing. It's just like a streaming service. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a totally mad <laughs> Over the top. Um, Wacky. It's uh, an American short form streaming platform that generates content for viewing on mobile devices. Oh man, I, I hear like commercials for that all the time. Oh yeah, there's a lot of marketing for Quibi. What is, have you been listening to Spotify recently? Have you gotten the ads for, um, what the fuck is it? Oh god, a Die Hard? No, what is that? It's, it's like a comedy podcast that's like a fictionalized account of uh, Kevin Hart uh, becoming an action star <laughs> which is like that's a really interesting premise and I think you could totally pull it off but it's like what a weird thing to like stake Quibi on yeah. <laughs> seriously so is Kevin Hart in that or is it like I, yeah, produced in it. Yeah, yeah. by a third party no it's like all run by Kevin Hart oh, okay that makes sense Quibi was founded in August 2018 in Los Angeles as New TV by Jeffrey Katzenberg. Oh, <laughs> and, a familiar face. Yes, who was mentioned in the Disney's America episode, and there will actually be um, some overlap with that episode. Really? Well, very minor overlap, okay, okay. but like the two stories coincide a bit. Excellent. Amazing. Uh, Quibi is led by CEO Meg Whitman, if you, who... Uh, ran for governor of California in 2010. That's where I've heard that yes. name. And I will get into her. At, she is a also uh, her own unique figure, but the story mostly centers around Jeffrey Katzenberg. She wasn't the one that dabbed, was he? <laughs> I feel like most politicians have dabbed at some point. I, You know, I would disagree. <laughs> I, I don't think many politicians have dabbed. I think some politicians have dabbed. I don't even think AOC has ever dabbed. I mean, I don't know if you can prove that. You can't disprove it. <laughs> you show me evidence right now that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has never dabbed, Evan. <laughs> I pull up, like, a really low-quality video on my phone of just, like, a bunch of, like, chaos and, like, gunshots and, like, screaming. It's like, proof. A Polaroid photograph taken with a telescopic lens. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, like, some sort of, like, pig creature, like, charging at somebody. <laughs> Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg was born in New York City to a Jewish family, the son of Anne, an artist, and Walter Katzenberg, a stockbroker. Mm. When he was 14, Katzenberg volunteered to work on John Lindsay's successful New York mayoral campaign. He quickly received the nickname Squirt and attended many, as many meetings as he could. <laughs> so he's literally involved in politics from the age of 14. They really kind of build these guys from stock, yeah, don't they? Exactly. After dropping out of NYU, Katzenberg studied gambling for a time in order to run a club in New York City. Interesting. And he learned how to count cards well enough that he was banned from several Las Vegas casinos. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, most Vegas casinos don't, like, they, they shuffle after every hand. Like, they, they specifically do it so you can't count cards. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, apparently he was banned from several casinos. It's like, the ones that don't count cards are usually, like, the shitty ones outside of Vegas. Right. It's like the small ones outside. It feels like maybe Jeffrey Katzenberg would kind of use that as, like, a flex. Like, I got banned from right. Las Vegas. But it was, like, right. some, like, shitty, like, one of those, like, outside towns. Right, right. It's like, oh, it's like, I got banned from a casino in Reno, Nevada. Yeah, right. like, Yeah, everyone's been banned from a casino <laughs> in Reno, Nevada. Yeah, join the club. Um... Katzenberg eventually landed a job as Barry Diller's assistant at Paramount Pictures, hmm. um, where the patronizing nickname bestowed on him by Diller and other executive Michael Eisner was uh, Golden Retriever. Golden so Retriever. he was basically just like, 
he's very political. Like he knows who to kiss up to, like how to rise through the ranks. Like right. he's the he'll do whatever. He doesn't care. He's all about gaining power. Well, and it's like he shows up in the room and all of his new coworkers immediately look at him and just go, Ah, we're gonna nickname you little pee pants boy. <laughs> <laughs> well he he has two different nick like he first was nicknamed Squirt by the mayoral office, and now he's nicknamed Golden Retriever. Like right. he always has like a reputation. Right, right. <laughs> Um, in 1984, both Katzenberg and Eisner moved to Disney, where Eisner served as CEO and Katzenberg as chairman. Mm. Um, Katzenberg's unyielding drive was instrumental to Disney's animation renaissance in the late 80s and early 90s. He pushed forward 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which integrated live action and animation in technologically groundbreaking ways in the face of enormous industry skepticism. Mm. The movie ended up grossing over $300 million and winning four Oscars. Wow. He followed that success with Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, and The Lion King. Um, so incredibly successful tenure Height at Disney. of the Disney Renaissance. Exactly. So then in 1994, Eisner famously passed Katzenberg over for the number two job at Disney and refused to pay him the large severance guaranteed in his contract. Because Michael Eisner is a little bitch bastard. Yeah, exactly. Which is in the Disney's America episode why there was so much conflict over Disney's America inside Disney because half the company was loyal to Katzenberg and half the company was loyal to Eisner. So right. like, that was the source of the internal division. So um, great move there, Mr. Eisner boy. Yeah, exactly. Um, Katzenberg sued Disney, eventually walking away with a $270 million settlement. Damn! <laughs> so Katzenberg's just fine. Yeah. After leaving Disney, Katzenberg co-founded DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen in 1994. It was the first new big studio built in L.A. in 60 years. Wow, really? Yeah, exactly. I did not know that. Exactly, because like Hollywood is a very like entrenched, entrenched in like the the existing um, studios. So to build a new studio is huge. Right, that's got to take an enormous amount of capital. Exactly, it's why only billionaires can start right. like yeah, any kind of production company or or studio. Um, when Comcast and Universal uh, bought DreamWorks, it was on the condition that Katzenberg leave leave the company. <laughs> So this is a guy... You, out. <laughs> he clashes with everyone he works with. He clashed with Eisner. He clashed with the people who were buying DreamWorks. Like, people don't like uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> That's really interesting. It's like, one, of course he allied with Eisner. And of course he's, he got stabbed in the back by Eisner. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what do you expect? Right. It's just in the DNA of these guys. Right. It's just bastard attracts bastard. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're great partners, and then one will just, you know, give them the taste of their own medicine kind of thing. <laughs> like, how did you think this was going to end? And then they'll turn around and start another company that they'll sell for $400 million. Right. Like, after selling DreamWorks in 2016 for $3.8 billion and taking home uh, another $400 million himself, Katzenberg was not about to retire. Yeah. <laughs> Katzenberg was just getting started. And oh, here's wow. where our story truly begins. Uh, by July 2017, Katzenberg was appearing on the cover of Variety touting something he called New TV. Mm -hmm. He waxed poetic about a short-form premium streaming service, which he believed would revolutionize the streaming industry. But to start this new company, Katzenberg knew he needed a strong business partner to act as the CEO. So who'd he get? He saw his opportunity when Meg Whitman announced that that November that she was retiring as CEO of Hewlett Packard Enterprise. We oh my god, she was right. That's <laughs> what she was from. She was from HP. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes. Okay. I I have been considering doing an episode on HP right. for a long time yeah. now because that's a desperate act of capitalism. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> and of course. Katzenberg was just like the perfect partner. That is, that is batshit. Yeah. Like, it's like, all right, we, we're setting up a new premium streaming service that's going to replace TV. Yeah. Like, this is going to be a competitor for Netflix. You right. know, one, a, an enormous media giant. Right. We need an absolutely killer star lineup <laughs> to like... We need great shows to start this, and we need somebody who understands the media landscape. We need somebody who understands how to work with entertainers, somebody who's good at marketing. So they got they got the sacrificial lamb who tanked HP <laughs> and failed to run for governor of California as a Republican, I believe. Exactly. Yeah, I'll talk about her political history. A oh my bit god, right now. no. Meg Whitman is like Meg Whitman is a disaster artist. She's <laughs> she's an idiot. Like it's 
Oh my god, I'm so excited now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Meg Whitman is a Republican who has served as the CEO of Hewlett Packard and of eBay. I think before Hewlett Packard, she was the CEO for, of eBay. Um, she also played large roles in the Mitt Romney campaigns in 2008 and 2012. <laughs> so nice, nice person. Yeah. She herself ran an unsuccessful campaign of, for governor of California in 2010 against Jerry Brown. She ran on a platform of strong support for California's Proposition 8, which defined marriage as the union between one man and one woman. So, just like, yeah. Why do Republicans even try in California? (laughs) Exactly. We have a supermajority. It's like, Republicans literally, it does not matter if they show up to Congress. Yeah, right. (laughs) Her net worth is estimated at $3.8 billion. Of course it is. Of course it is. Right. Which is why she's a a politician, or trying to be a politician. She just has money, and she's just trying to promote herself. It's it's exactly what I've talked about before. Past a certain dollar amount, like past a certain amount of money, the only thing you can buy is senators. Yeah, right. The only thing you can buy is political influence. Right, and she clearly knows she's not going to win any... She's not going to win the governorship. She's just trying to promote herself. Exactly. It's advertising. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's Meg Whitman. I'm not really going to talk about her much more. She's just... Like this story is more about her own episode. Yeah, this story is more about Katzenberg. But just know, this whole time, Meg Whitman is the CEO. CEO. She's running the ship while Katzenberg is like the dreamer behind the scenes. Right, kind of right. Um, so he's the captain, but she's at the helm. Exactly. Uh, before Quibi even had its official name, Katzenberg was singing the gospel of chapterized stories for your cell phone. Quote. I believe there is going to be an enterprise ten years from now that will be as big as the television business is today. He told the conference crowd in early 2017. He viewed the success of Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code with its 105 chapters as validation of the thesis that consumers want entertainment in small chunks. What? What? That's his market research. Jeffrey Katzenberg read The Da Vinci Code, which apparently I've never read it, but it has like really short chapters, like five to ten pages at most. And he's like, this is proof that consumers want small, like, bite-sized premium entertainment. That... Uh, that is so dumb. Yeah. That's the, that like, the Oogie Loves guy who went to see Medea Goes to Jail. Like, <laughs> this is proof that children want interactive entertainment in theaters. It's I, like, what? I bet Katzenberg cited Twitter as well. Yeah. Like, oh, right. they, they want small things because people have no attention span nowadays or whatever. Yeah. The way the media is shipped to you is not really that important. Right, like, exactly. It's, what matters is that the media is good. Right. We don't really care how it gets to us. It's just astounding how bad this idea is. You have to be the biggest fucking numbskull to try and launch a competitor to Netflix and Hulu now. Right. Exactly. Like Netflix, Hulu, Spotify, and fucking Twitch. Like, right. I bet... I, dollars to donuts. Jeffrey Katzenberg does not know what Twitch.tv is. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you, he's operating on like thirty percent of the information that most people have. He's just like, you know, in his giant house reading a book, and he's like, you know, I'm going to start a streaming service. Right, and he has no idea what a streaming service is or really entails. Exactly, and like his whole premise of the streaming service is like, yes, there are short form content platforms like YouTube. And, and TikTok and stuff. But it's like, all that stuff is just trash content. I'm going to make one that has premium, expensive content. Right. It's No one will subscribe to Vine. Yeah, you know? exactly. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. Is like, there's all this thought in like business and like everything is like that people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. I honestly don't think that's true. Look at the rise of podcasts. People frequently listen to two hour plus podcasts and like video podcasts on YouTube no complaints and they get millions of views Netflix has like long episodes like 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 Narcos for instance like those right. episodes are like at least an hour long and those shows blow up like I don't this central premise that people are just like constantly moving on to the next things I don't know if that's true on a large scale it, you know what it is I I think it's not that people have shorter attention spans. They just have less free time. Yeah. Life takes a shitload of effort and focus nowadays. Exactly. And people don't have time to sit down with a two-hour movie. Definitely. Unless 
The only way to really sit down with a two-hour movie nowadays is if you're doing something else while you're watching it, or you're, like, making a night of it, and you're going out to a theater. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, even if people are looking for short-form content to fill in their gaps, I don't think they care if it's premium content. You have Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all these things that are saturating you with content you can throw. And it's all, like, there's good content on all those platforms. Right. There is, that's the other thing. There is more content than any one person could ever consume at the moment. There is just so much fucking content. Exactly. And the last thing that any of those people are thinking about is whether or not it's premium or subscription yeah. or freemium or whatever. Exactly. It's like the, the, like, how you buy it is, like, people hate thinking about that. Yeah. exactly. So... Uh, Jeffrey uh, believed that despite most short-form video sites' reliance on user-generated content, every medium has room for a premium offering, which I think is just bullshit. Um, And he considered the TV streamers to be playing a different game altogether than what he was envisioning. How? (laughs) That they're just longer episodes. That's literally the only difference. Sure. Um, Because uh, Quibi then called new TV... uh, Quibi's point was to charge for content, it has to it had to start out by raising an enormous amount of money in order to afford premium content worth charging for. Right. And and I have not heard a single thing about what they've <laughs> been trying to raise. Like I know that like when you I mean, you, there's all these Netflix originals that are all extremely high quality. Yeah, exactly. And like there's all that talk about Amazon doing a doing a Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like a $1 billion Lord right, of the Rings. Like a billion dollar Lord of the Rings production or whatever. And I haven't heard a single thing about Quibi. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing about Quibi. It's like most of it, the things that it, it thinks is big news just gets swept under the rug. Right. Like no one knows about the shows that are on Quibi. So so what are what are their big hitters? I'll get to that in a bit. Okay, um, okay. I'm just going to talk about how much money they raised first. Oh, boy. Um, in August 2015, just five months after Whitman's arrival, Katzenberg announced that New TV had raised a billion dollars, eventually amassing a total of 1.75 billion before Jesus. it had even launched. Jesus. Its biggest investors included Madrone Capital, an investment vehicle for the Walmart Waltons. Oh, of course. Um, and Alibaba, which is basically the Amazon of China. Right. Um, but the most important investors were those Katzenberg had brought aboard. Every major studio. From Disney to Viacom to Universal to Fox to Sony, the deals came with assurances that Quibi would spend an equal amount on services and products provided by the investor. This is known as round tripping. So, for example, if Disney invested $20 million in Quibi, uh, Quibi would commit to spending $20 million to pay for content from Disney. That's super risky. Yeah, exactly. Because... They're paying you money, and you're immediately giving it back to them. Right. Kind of thing. Like, any money you raise has to immediately be poured into content. Right. You're, like, if, when you're trying, when you start up a business like this, you, yeah. know, you get your, your initial business loan, you, your startup capital, right? Let's say you're starting a restaurant or whatever. Yeah. You don't actually make money until that initial loan is paid off. Right. Right? So if you're running a restaurant... Like, it's going to be three, four, five years until you actually start making money. Exactly. And by round-tripping like that, right. all you're doing is extending that amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you're just adding another $20 million onto that time. Right. Exactly. It's, it's insane. And they haven't even launched yet. And, like, it's aiming to be, like, a mini streaming service, so they charge less than most streaming services charge. Which means that they would have to go broad. Yeah. Right? They have to, they're going for widest common denominator. Exactly. Um, some employees within Quibi wondered whether young people would even pay for the service. And you know what the answer to that is? Fucking no. Yeah, exactly. Uh, quote, uh, You never dissented on that point, recalls one of them. Their fundraise was predicated on a plan that showed revenue targets so they could never unwind that. Katzenberg says much the same when asked why Quibi doesn't have an ads awarded free offering. Quote, Literally, you cannot do the math. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, do, I don't even know what that means, but that's his defense of why they don't offer a free version of Quibi. You can't do the math. You can't do the math. You literally cannot do the math. Which is, I think, it is like he he's saying we need to charge because we 
paid so much to launch this thing, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's like they're... I do not understand. Like, I genuinely do not understand. <laughs> Again, it's all fucking market research. Yeah. Like, they should have known that, like, oh, I, <laughs> young people won't actually pay for this. Yeah, right. Young people will not purchase our product. Right, so we're not going to offer a free version because the math doesn't isn't there or something. Um, Quibi was officially founded, as it's known today, in August 2018 by Katzenberg and Whitman and led by Whit- Whitman. In October of 2018, it was officially renamed to Quibi. Quibi's pitch was no less than redefining the unit of corporate Hollywood entertainment to the quick bite. That is so annoying. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> Quote, Five years from now, we want to come back on this stage, and if we were successful, there will have been the era of movies, the era of television, and the era of Quibi, Katzenberg told a crowd at South by Southwest in 2019. What Google is to search, Quibi will be to short-form video. I I can't really put a name to the emotion I'm feeling right now. <laughs> it's, it's just so like dumb. It's a mixture of like exhaustion and rage. Yeah. <laughs> like I would be I would be furious if I cared enough. Yeah. It's like you are so fucking dumb. Right. <sighs> yeah, the the era uh. of movies, the era of TV, and the era of Quibi. <laughs> <sighs> fucking sure. Go ahead. More power to you, yeah, exactly. I guess. If, if you were offering a product that wasn't just taking like an already super competitive market share and then just charging for it, then maybe there would be some hope for you. But it's almost like endearing the fact that he's making such bold claims when his idea is so like doomed from the start. To me, it's just proof that Jeffrey Katzenberg doesn't go outside yeah. and doesn't understand what it means to be a human anymore. Well, it's like, that's what happens when you make 300 million, you have a $300 million exit in 1990. Right. Like, like, he hasn't had to work or go outside in 30 years. He hasn't had to experience reality in 30 years. And now he's got the new big idea that will revolutionize right. the landscape. Now he's got the sequel to TV. Yeah, and he's 70 now, and he's been he's been a multi-multi-millionaire for, probably a billionaire, for 30 years. Right, for most of his life now. Like, Frustrating. Yeah. So Quibi had raised uh, nearly $2 billion from major film studios, TV companies, uh, telecom companies, technology companies, banks, and other investors, including Disney, Fox, Universal, Sony, Time Warner, Viacom, Lionsgate, MGM, Madrone Capital, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Alibaba, Liberty Global, and ITV. Which is interesting because a lot of those investors also have competing streaming services. Exactly. I think it's just them diversifying their offerings because they get paid up front for content. Kind of like they're right. selling their content to because it's the all about the um, whatever it was called the round tripping yeah, thing. Tripping. So they invest, but they get the money back because um, Quibi will pay them for content. Well, and if they're if they're coming in as ground floor investors, if Quibi goes belly up, and if Quibi does manage to generate any valuable assets and goes belly up, yeah, they get a share of that. But if they mm-hmm. don't generate any valuable assets and goes belly up, these like Universal and Disney and whatever, they just get to go like numb. Like this is ours now. Exactly. They get to rip it apart. Exactly. And they break even from the start because they're paid for their content. How right. much they invest. Right. So it's it's literally like zero risk. And that so now I've walked my way through it. There's basically like there's no risk on any of the investors' part. This is all the risk is on Quibi. <laughs> right. All the risk is on Quibi, and you would be dumb not to like you would be dumb. To not be a studio and invest in Quibi. Which is why ever, literally every studio invested in Quibi. I see. So recognizing the risk of making something for an unproven platform, Katzenberg typically offered to pay producers costs plus 20%. You know, I don't think he really recognized the risk. You know, he did. If he did, he wouldn't have done it. Um, quote, people on Quibi have $100,000 a minute to make content. That doesn't exist on other platforms. What? So he's paying content producers exorbitant fees to make content. That's... What? Yeah. Like, I mean, we talk about burning money, but yeah. you literally... Like, you would probably lose less money here by literally just burning all of that money in cash and then streaming the streaming the video. Yeah, exactly. Like, that stream would probably generate more revenue. Yeah, exactly. 
Just like the super comments on the YouTube stream would probably generate more revenue. Yeah, that Katzenberg is... burns a billion dollars. Right. They're setting $100,000 on fire every minute. Yeah. Um, just stream that. Yeah, just stream that, exactly. It'd be way more interesting than anything. Your idea has to be more profitable than literally yeah. burning money. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry that we have to explain that to you, Mr. Katzenberg, but that's what happens when you haven't had to think about having less than a billion dollars This in is how years. capitalism works, and it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to think about these things. In these trying times, we here at Desperate Acts of Capitalism understand how tough it can be to want a new toothbrush. So we here at Desperate Acts of Capitalism have decided to pee our pants. <laughs> That's right. Our shorts are now entirely sodden with urine. <laughs> And for a short time, you can too. With the promo code DAOC, go to any website for absolutely you can get 10% nothing. off of peeing your pants. <laughs> 10% more pee. For 10% less dollars. Stop. Remember, use promo code DESPERATEX for whatever the fuck you say. Stop not peeing your pants anymore. <laughs> Uh, Katzenberg believed enough mobile phone users want to spend their spare minutes of downtime while waiting in line for coffee, riding the bus or subway, <laughs> digesting. So, like, I'm going to be at Starbucks waiting for coffee, and I'm just going to, you know, pull out my Quibi and just, like, use it to pass the time. Like, I'm going to ignore Instagram, uh, my messages, my emails, right, the, TikTok. The myriad of other attention-grabbing things that don't require a premium subscription. Yeah. Because Quibi is not just competing with other streaming services. They're competing with all the other free shit yeah. on your cell phone. <laughs> they're competing with every, like all entertainment on your phone. They're, they're competing with just sort of standing there for 60 yeah, seconds. Exactly. Which is like, it's like miscalculated because most of the things on Quibi are like 7 to 10 minutes. That's, yeah. that's too long for when you're waiting in line for coffee. Right. Like, that's why Instagram is perfect because you can just pull it out for a minute and just like watch stuff for one to three minutes. You know what else is you know what else is roughly 11 minutes? A cartoon. Right. Like, most <laughs> cartoons are roughly 11 minutes long. Exactly. There's already premium content on like Hulu which has like every cartoon ever made. Right. <laughs> Quibi had a monthly uh cost of $4.99 with ads or $7.99 without ads. So even with ads, it's still $5 a month. That, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> I'm not paying for that. And Jeffrey Kessmerk was spending lavishly on the hunch that people would pay $5 a month for something that would compete with TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and games on your phone. If you look at this in a vacuum, yeah. right, paying $5 for a month for Quibi does not sound like a bad deal. Right. Right? That seems like a reasonable price to set for yeah. that service. I mean, without ads, I right. guess. Yeah. But you can't compete with TikTok, which is literally free. Right. Like, TikTok has ads, too. Yeah. And it's free. Exactly. And there's probably way more content. There's a much wider breadth of content on TikTok that you can find than just whatever Jeff Jeffrey Katzenberg thinks is going to be entertainment. Well, and... TikToks are actually 60 seconds long. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Quibi was to launch in the spring of 2020 with 50 original shows. Damn. And another 125 were to be rolled out by the end of the first year. And I'm sure every single one was, like, top fucking quality, <laughs> like, A-list shit, right? It's A-listers, but the shows themselves are bafflingly uninteresting. So here, <laughs> oh, here are God. the big... Like, because I actually created a Quibi account. Really? To just see what it was. And so here are the big things on the website before you sign, or the app, before you actually sign up, here are the things to draw you in. Okay. I'll just show the, the pictures. Right. So these are, these are their Castlevania. Exactly. Right? These are their, uh, their uh, house of cards. Yeah. Big action. Liam Hemsworth stars in a 24-hour manhunt, desperate and in debt. Never heard of it. I don't even know what that means. Right. Desperate and in debt. Why is he in debt? Who knows? What does that have to do? 
Big laughs. Anna Kendrick stars alongside a sex doll with an appetite for adventure. That sounds infuriating. Is it actually called Big Laughs? No, it's called Dummy. So I watched, like, I think like 75% of the first episode of Dummy. It is gross, not funny, weird, and it goes on and on without any jokes. The first episode is seven minutes long. I had to turn it off. It was so bad. It's about this, like, woman who become like, takes, like, too much, like, expired melatonin or something. And so she starts, like, hallucinating. And so she, like, becomes friends with her boyfriend's sex doll. And the only jokes were, like, really gross descriptions of, like, jizz accumulating in a sex doll and, like, how to clean it kind of thing. Like, there's no actual jokes, but there was, like, this long back and forth about, like, crystallized jizz. Like, this, and this is, like, the second big selling point of... To be fair, if someone, if I was a comedian and somebody hired me to write seven-minute episodes of a TV show for a platform that, like, was clearly going nowhere, and that, like, if somebody hired me $100,000 a minute minute, to write seven-minute, if somebody paid me $0.7 million dollars to write a, a professionally <laughs> produced TV episode that I knew nobody would watch, that is what I would make. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would I would just make the grossest, most lowbrow bullshit yeah. I possibly could. <laughs> right. It's like gross-out humor, but without any jokes. It's just like descriptions of gross things. But I would I would do some fucking like oh, what the hell is that artist's name? The guy that just filmed himself eating a hamburger for 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. He's it's like, like an incredibly famous artist, but I would do that for it would just be like unedited footage of a pig shitting or something. It's like clearly Katzenberg doesn't really care. He just wants content, right? Like he just wants to hire like semi fit like. A minus list actors kind of thing. Right, right. Liam Hemsworth is in action show. Yeah, like Liam Hemsworth and Anna Kendrick are not like they're A listers, but they're not like huge draws kind of thing. Like they're not like just because you have star power doesn't mean that the show can be bad. Right. You can't throw a a semi A lister to sell a shitty premise. Right. Yes, stars are draws if the show like. The show has to also be getting positive word of mouth. Exactly. Uh, so here's the other two. Uh, big cases, real people, real cases, and real legally binding decisions. So apparently there's a show where Chrissy Teigen is a judge and it's real or something. Chrissy's court. And it's Chrissy Teigen. What? Would, uh, it's such a waste of Chrissy Teigen. It's just yeah. like a shitty like Judge Judy knockoff. Like With Chrissy... Like, is she the, the judge? Or She's the she judge, judge, yeah. Is she like... Wait, did they like get Chrissy Teigen to pass the bar? <laughs> I think it's just like a Judge Judy thing where like people are waiving their rights for civil cases and just like she's just like deciding like I don't even know. Like <laughs> that's kind of a fun premise for like a Saturday Night Live skit. Exactly. If that was a Saturday Night Live skit, it would probably be really funny. No, that okay, you know what that is? That's that's like an Eric Andre bit. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's like we got these people to waive their le- to like yeah. give their legal rights yeah. to Chrissy Teigen, who is now going to decide that, and they just have they legally have to do whatever Chrissy Teigen tells them. Yeah, exactly. Which is just like I don't know. And the other one is big moment: the story of how the 2014 LA Clippers held racism accountable. So apparently, they have what? documentaries too, which is like. I, like, I don't know how you squeeze that story into seven-minute episodes. Yeah, I'm sure they did that story justice in seven minutes. Yeah, exactly. Like, As the fourth option after, you know, like, the sex doll adventure and Chrissy's Court and the <laughs> the debt manhunt or whatever. Debt manhunt. Wait, what is it actually called? The manhunt one? Yeah. It's called Most Dangerous Game, which is like... Wait, I... Have I, I watched the first episode. It was kind of interesting. It has, like, Christoph Waltz in it. Oh. Who's like a great actor, he can sell anything, but yeah, like, I like Christoph Waltz. it's not like that interesting of a premise. It's just like a guy who is in debt and like he engages in a game where people hunt him for money or something. I see. yeah, because it's a it's a reference to the the short story Most Dangerous Game about like um a mad Russian aristocrat who like he like kidnaps people and then releases them naked on an island and hunts them for sport. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 
It's just like it's a pre- okay premise, but like as the first thing to get people to subscribe to Quibi, it's not that strong. Right. It's just what a strange. You don't dedicate yourself to fifty different shows. Yeah, exactly. And like. I guess if they're going for the shotgun approach, like maybe one of them is good, but who's gonna sit through fifty shows? Yeah. How do you like? How do you wade through fifty shows? And the first couple that have popped up on Quibi were not even that good. Right, and like their their number two, their silver medal was the fucking sex doll one. Yeah, exactly. Quote: He pitched me at Nate and Al's, and my eyes lit up. Recalls Jason Blum, whose horror focus Blumhouse Productions was behind Paranormal Activity, The Purge, and Get Out. Blum signed on to make the show Wolves and Villagers and later two other series. Quote, I can honestly say I've never been in such a cocky pitch environment, another producer recalls. I would describe the atmosphere as almost Wolf of Wall Street. Not in terms of actual debauchery, but it's an incredibly nice office that just goes and goes. I don't even know what that quote means. I guess it's just like, it's just huge. Yeah, it's a huge office and everyone's really cocky and they're talking about it like it's the next big thing. The only way to get this thing off the ground is to like drown people in bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Katzenberg recruited an amazing array of talent. Sam Raimi would produce a horror anthology. Idris Elba would star in a car stunts show. What? Chrissy Teigen would put on judges' robes and comically preside over a courtroom. Lena Waithe would make a show about sneakerheads. Anna Kendrick would anchor a comedy in which her character befriends her boyfriend's sex doll. Uh, the Kardashians would do a mock reality show featuring a m- mythical fraternal twin brother named Kirby Jenner. What? When Gal Gadot came into the offices and delivered an impassioned speech about wanting to elevate the voices of girls and women, Katzenberg wondered aloud whether she might become the new Jane Fonda and do a workout series for Quibi. What? <laughs> Further evidence that Jeffrey Katzenberg hasn't gone outside in 30 years. Does he know, like, who Gal Gadot is? No. I doubt he knows who any... He's just like, oh, you're famous? Right. Maybe you could do a show where you do exercise. It's like, I want to elevate the voices of young girls. And then Jeffrey Katzenberg wonders aloud that maybe this buff Israeli woman could do a workout series. Yeah. Uh, One media... Who knows about the Jane Fonda workout workout show anymore? Like, that... Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's been, like, on ice for 30 years. God. It's like, that's... Like, at this point, that's a 50-year-old reference. Yes, exactly. No... Kids today have no idea who Jane Fonda is. Exactly. I'm sure Gal Gadot doesn't, like, she, even if she knows who Jane Fonda is, she doesn't know about the Jane Fonda workout videos. I, I think it's possible that Gal Gadot would know about the, J, about the Jane Fonda workout series, but I doubt that's what she had in mind no. when she showed up talking about elevating the voices <laughs> yeah. of young girls. One media investor suggested the quality of Quibi's line, lineup reflected, quote, an adverse selection bias. In other words, Quibi getting a... Lister's talents be material, yeah. or else producers' desk drawer scripts, which haven't been able to attract a more established buyer. Quote, if we have a show that's going to be a huge hit, you pitch to Netflix, HBO, says a producer with a project at Quibi. If that doesn't get traction, you pitch to Quibi. Yes, that, because they're paying you $100,000 a page. And they are desperate for content. Right. Nearly 200 shows in its first year. They will take literally anything. Quibi's marketing pushed the platform rather than the shows on it. Which is why we don't know about any shows. Imagine fucking that. In market research following the incredibly expensive Oscars and Super Bowl ads, 70% of respondents said they thought Quibi was a food delivery service. (laughs) (laughs) Because... The ads are like, it's Quibi, it's big, and they don't talk about what Quibi does or what shows are on it or who these celebrities are. <laughs> so you're you're selling food? Is that what we're here? <laughs> Can't breathe. <laughs> all right, I'm, all right, children, we're gonna order some pizza from Quibi. Do we do we want pepperoni or? And they get to Quibi and it's like. Anna Kendrick befriends Sextel? What the fuck is this? I just wanted pizza. Holy shit. How do you fuck up that bad? For a Super Bowl ad, which costs like several million dollars. 70%. (laughs) Seven out of ten Americans were like, yeah, I think they'd sell food or something. Well, it's... Not even... Not even I think... Like, because they give you, like, a range of options. They let you write down your answer. Right. Seven out of ten Americans were, like, 
cock fucking sure <laughs> that they were like dead sure that this was a food delivery yeah. service. Right. right. <laughs> Quibby. Like if they go home and you ask them, they're like, hey, what's Quibby? They're like, oh, it's definitely a food yeah, delivery right. service. We are so sure. God. That is... How do you mess up the Super Bowl ads so badly? Holy shit, that is... Which is, I think, points to Katzenberg's hubris, where it's like, he's so cocky about his idea, he's not even going to talk about any of the selling points. He's just going to say, Quibi, it will change the world. He's not used to talking to people who consume media. He's used to talking to people who sell media. Yeah. And so because of that, he thinks that the selling point of Quibi is the format. Exactly. It's the model. He doesn't... So many of these Hollywood dickheads do not realize that you can't just purchase good... You can't just purchase a hit out of thin air. You have to have an executive producer that understands what is going to work and what is not. You can't just throw money at this shit because that's when you... That's what... If you try, you end up with The Last Jedi. Well, that's a larger uh, conversation. I think you mean, uh, what's it called? Uh, the entire, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker. Whatever, yeah. yeah. That entire new series, like, they just yeah. fumbled that whole thing. But, Although I, I love Ryan Johnson. I'm just going to say he's a gem of a man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> um, uh, but that's a larger conversation. You just... These, these dickheads don't realize you can't purchase good art. Exactly. Well, also, you need a house of cards... You need a Handmaid's Tale. You need a Mandalorian to yeah. sell your streaming service. You yes. can't just say, the new streaming service, it has great content. You need that draw to get people to subscribe. You have to actually say that it's a streaming service. Exactly, exactly. You know, before we actually like got into this episode, I actually thought that Quibi was um, Colibri, the fake toothbrush, like the, the <laughs> toothbrush company with like that faked having AI in it. Oh yeah. That I need to do an episode on. Yeah. Like, I thought Quibi was that. Yeah. It's like their incredibly expensive marketing clearly did not work and it actually convinced people without a doubt that it was a food delivery service. That, that <laughs> it just they spent millions of dollars to get to convince all of their potential customers to not buy their product. Yeah, exactly. Or to like Please order food, and then they get to the app, and there's no food. What the fuck? It was just Anna Kendrick talking about crystallized jizz. Yeah. Uh, and now we get to the launch of Quibi. That was all, like, a free, oh free launch. Oh, no. When COVID-19 hit, Katzenberg and Whitman considered delaying Quibi's launch, but they had 12 months of ads locked in with with more than six months worth of content you, banked. You can't pull the plug now. Yeah. You just can't. There's too much capital moving. And as Katzenberg says, this was, quote, a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. Which it is, but it's going to be a very long marathon yeah. if you actually want to make money. Especially with how much money you fucking round-tripped earlier. Yeah. Quibi's future seems unlimited. Seemed unlimited. And for a moment, when it launched on April 6th of this year, it looked as if all of Katzenberg's glorious predictions might come to pass. The first day, the Quibi app rose to number three in Apple's App Store. Uh, uh. The app's ranking dropped to number 284 by (laughs) mid-June. And as of early June, over 5 million phones had downloaded the Quibi app. Of those, 1.5 million (laughs) had registered to use it. And this was with Quibi offering a three-month free trial. Wow. So that means that 5 million people downloaded and signed up for the app. No, 5 million downloaded, only 1.5 million actually signed up, even with the three-month free trial. And of, and, wow. That's a, that's just a lot, man. And when Quibi paused marketing during the BLM protests, the App Store ranking fell to number 1,477. So the only thing keeping them even in the top 500 was its extensive marketing. It's the same shit as like all the DTC stuff. Yeah. It's like, this is your, this is your new rent. This is the only thing keeping you, keeping you solvent. <laughs> exactly. In light of its disappointing user numbers, Quibi's advertisers have reportedly asked to renegotiate their deals. <laughs> the company was forced to go into capital conservation mode, which is almost like an oxymoron for Quibi. Capital conservation mode, sure. 
like a streaming service that is predicated on an almost like an exorbitant like burn rate is right. going into capital conservation mode. Comical burn rate. Yeah, it's a br- paying people a hundred thousand dollars a minute for production yeah. is like it's like Spider Man turn off the dark level scaled for a streaming service. It's, it's like Jeffrey, didn't you work in media production? Don't yeah. you know how much this costs? Right. Like exactly. Uh, so in capital conf- conservation mode, executives took a ten percent pay cut. <laughs> They didn't stop spending insane amounts of money on content. Executives are like, we're all going to band together and that's going to save the company. How fucking valiant of them. A series of top executives came and went, unsurprisingly. Janice Min, the former editor of The Hollywood Reporter, oversaw Daily Essentials at Quibi, but left after reportedly clashing with Katzenberg over the direction of content. So Katzenberg is very involved in what content is on Quibi, and he's like clashing with people no Quibi needs to have these kind of shows on it and he's clashing with people after I'm sure being involved directly with production this entire time and seeing that nobody likes his dumb shows yeah exactly um, executive Tim Connolly under whose leadership Quibi secured a hundred million dollars in advertising commitments also left abruptly after the launch two weeks after launch Quibi announced that its creative marketing league lead Megan Imbress would would also be leaving the company. Quote, it's very Trumpian there, says a person with first-hand knowledge. Unless you agree with them, you're a troublemaker. Meg believes she's a marketing genius. Jeffrey believes he's a content genius. So you end up in shitty jobs where you're there to execute their vision, which no one else there believes in. It's literally Jeffrey Katzenberg saying, this is what it is. I don't want to hear any other opinions. You do it or you're fired. It, were I in that situation at that pay, sure, Jeffrey Katzenberg, yeah, exactly. whatever you want, whatever you want, I would, I will make whatever dumb bullshit show you want to make. Like, right. that's when you show up every day to the set of the Anna Kendrick talking about crystallized <laughs> jizz show, and you just make her say increasingly stupid things. Yeah, exactly. It's like this is this needs to be the number two on our list of our selling points. Some employees joke darkly. Within the company, that Quibi was another fire fest in the making. Oh boy! <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's yeah. definitely not. It's a very different thing. It's it's definitely not fire fest because Jeffrey Katzenberg isn't explicitly trying to defraud people. Yeah, exactly. Jeffrey Katzenberg actually thinks this is going to work. Yeah, the exactly. fire fest guy never thought fire fest was going to no, work. It was literally a scheme to <laughs> cheat people. Out it of was money. a scheme done in a fit of panic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeffrey, trying to pay back your other debts. Jeffrey Katzenberg actually thinks that he's the biggest, brightest business boy. Exactly, and got Meg Whitman, who also apparently thinks she's the you know. Yeah, she is also the biggest, brightest business boy. Exactly, <laughs> person who is not a good businessman and not a good politician. Yeah, um, staffers reportedly. Seized, seized at Reese Witherspoon's six million dollar salary for voiceover work on six minute episodes of the nature series Fierce Queens, as Quibi's poor performance threatened layoffs. Witherspoon's husband Jim Toth is the head of talent and content acquisition at Quibi, <laughs> which like so there's nepotism going on also at Quibi, which also determines who is getting the most pay. Well, and it's like as if Reese Witherspoon needs. Like, as if Reese Witherspoon needs nepotism to get roles. Exactly. Six million dollars is a lot. (laughs) But also, like, they're laying off people in the company because they're losing money, and then they're also paying Reese Witherspoon six million dollars for, like, a collective 30 minutes of voiceover work. Of course they are. It's like, none of these people actually know how the world works. Yeah. An interview with the New York Times went terribly, in addition to all this, with Katzenberg quoted as saying... Quote, I attribute everything that has gone wrong to the coronavirus. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> sure, Jeff. Which, his explanation for this was like, I envision this as people, like, using this on the subway and in line for coffee shops. And no one's, like, in lines anymore. And that's why it's, that's why people aren't subscribing, even though people are trapped at home with more of a vacuum for content. Yeah, now that now that people are trapped in their homes and bored all the time, no one is watching my TV shows. Yeah, exactly. Like, if anything, this means that Quibi should have been more popular. Exactly. This it's, is actually a great time to get into streaming. 
if you're doing poorly in the coronavirus as a streaming service, you're really a terrible streaming service. Right. It means that you've produced nothing but shit. <laughs> yeah. A spokesperson for Quibi who was present for the interview maintains that Katzenberg was, quote, clearly joking at this comment. I don't think Jeffrey Katzenberg is capable of joking. No. Clearly he was joking. Uh, no. Duh. <laughs> it was satire. Yeah. After press, press leaks of many of the parting executives, Quibi instructed employees who were leaving to say goodbye in person rather than by mass email. So they wanted to like basically like stop people from finding out about executives leaving, mm-hmm. bailing at the, on this project. Yeah, because they're in bailout mode. Yeah. This, this, this company is in a tailspin. Exactly. Um, in its zeal to control how its content is seen, one of Quibi's arguments to advertisers that it's a brand-safe environment... Quibi didn't allow screenshotting on, on its app, which makes it harder to talk about the shows on social media. So if you want to share any images from Quibi shows, you have to take a photo of it with a different camera. You can't screenshot and talk. like there's, They're basically like silencing word of mouth about any of these hundreds of shows they have by not letting you screenshot it. Imagine that. Like... Oh, but we have a convenient share button that you can link to your fucking Twitter or whatever. Yeah, exactly. One of Quibi's biggest selling points on its shows was its turnstile technology. What? So I tested this out. It's a really weird, like, technology. It's not even a technology. It's just a format where if you're, you can watch shows on your phone vertically and it'll all be formatted perfectly vertically. But if you turn your phone sideways, it will switch to a horizontal edit of that show seamlessly weird it, it is really weird it's like but what this means is that all filmmakers have to deliver two separate edits of the show which doubles the amount of editing editing time for every show produced for I was just gonna say that and you have to produce two different edits in two different formats exactly like, that is so stupid yeah. <laughs> and Quibi had to contend with a lawsuit over this technology Filed by Echo, a New York-based interactive video company that has met with Quibi several times, including with Katzenberg, the suit claims the turnstile technology was stolen from Echo. Quibi filed its own lawsuit the previous day, which sought a declaration that Quibi did not infringe on Echo's patented technology, as well as an order that Echo withdraw a complaint filed with Apple's App Store and unspecified monetary damages. So they're getting lawsuits because they've probably stolen this turnstile format from something else. Quibi also suffered a security fiasco when journalists reported that its email verification process sent users' private data to third-party firms. <laughs> Later, when asked for his assessment of Quibi's launch date, Katzenberg was quoted as saying, I would say things are going really well. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> everything is fine, and everything is exactly how I envisioned it. And then, in, like, you, they just pan over to the background and there's, like, shit on fire and people killing each other yeah. with spears. <laughs> this was our plan, you idiots. Uh, Meg Whitman said that investors aren't freaking out. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough. God damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> just... <laughs> Like, the, the burning office in the background with Jeffrey Katzenberg is just like, I think everything's going pretty well. And, and they're screaming and burning, and they just cut to Meg Whitman. It's just like, the investors are definitely not freaking out. <laughs> uh, quote, interestingly enough, they're all pretty calm. They're all in businesses that have been affected by COVID. They know that we're a startup. <laughs> the COVID thing. Technically, this is a startup. But it's also, like... Funded by the biggest people in the entertainment industry who should, by all rights, have produced a service that should have worked. I, You know, I bet the investors are pretty calm because they all came in on this fucking zero risk yeah, investment. exactly. They don't... I'm sure they're not even following the news about Quibi. <laughs> exactly. They, you know, they broke even already and then as Quibi dies, they'll just make more money. Right. <laughs> it's like they'll... They'll show up for investor meetings if any are ever called. Right. So, in response to all this madness, Quibi started to adapt. Well, they tried to adapt. They didn't. I don't know if it, they attempted to so, adapt. So, so what's their big dodge? What's their what's their new and improved Quibi model? So, a marketing pivot began in late June of this marketing, year. Marketing, of course. <laughs> focused on pushing the two new shows launching each week. 
So they started each week. Each week, there are two new shows on Quibi. It is like at the sheer speed they are burning money. It is amazing. They have not already declared bankruptcy. Right. It's well. I mean, they have so much investment, like two, nearly two, two billion dollars. But like that runs out quickly at this burn rate. So yeah, they were trying to put more emphasis on the shows rather than the platform. But it's like you can't even keep up with the shows because there's so many new ones. Well, and like okay, the way that most movies are budgeted, right? Is you've got the actual cost of production, and then you've got double that for you've got like it's that times two to account for marketing. Yeah, exactly. right. You ha- so you have to make double the film's budget just to break even. Yeah, which means that. Every single one of the, like, of the what, like 200 shows they eventually released, that means that they would have had to make double that in signups and ad revenue just to break even. Just to break even. Which is like no profit. An impossible task just to break even at this rate. But the math is impossible to do. Yeah, right. Well, clearly you didn't do the math, Jeffrey. If it's. If it is impossible, you didn't do it because it didn't work. I just did it in my head. There you go, Jeffy boy. Yeah. With pandemic lockdowns causing people to spend more time watching TV, the company has hustled to re-engineer its app so it's castable to one's television, defeating the entire selling point of this app in the first place, that it was going to be a mobile-only streaming service. Sure. So now it's just another shitty streaming service. <laughs> Quibi is also working hard to make screenshotting possible. Why? Why what? do they have to work hard? You just take off the blocker of this. Yeah, you have. Time. You have. I've done and I've done mobile development before. It's, <laughs> you have to turn screenshotting off. Yeah, like, exactly. It's one line of code. We've got our hundred engineers on the case, and the engineers are just like playing ping pong, getting paid <laughs> like four hundred dollars an hour. Oh yeah, easily. So as of July twenty fourth, Quibi is actually ranked number eighty three on the App Store. So definitely better, still not great for something that was funded at $2 billion. Well, and just because they're ranked at that number on the App Store doesn't mean they have that many signups. Yeah. They had what? Like, it was like only a 20% conversion rate? Yeah, less than 20%. Like 15%. So meanwhile, so here's the other thing that it also, just like you said, that doesn't necessarily mean it's getting better, the App Store ranking. The 90-day free trials start expiring this month. This month, so yeah, because they launched back in April, I think. Um, I thought they, I thought they launched back in like 2018, though. No, they officially launched in April of this year. Oh, so it's still relatively new, and all because they launched like right as the as COVID was like really hitting the US. I see, I see, I see. Okay, so the the free trials are going to start to to expire. The industry conversion, the industry standard for a conversion rate from a free trial to a paid subscriber hovers below 33 percent. And that was already a fifteen percent. Sorry, it wasn't fifteen. It was like it was like twenty five percent. Yeah, twenty five percent conversion rate of people who downloaded the app. Right. So, so a third of a fourth is going to be the people who actually pay Quibi, and probably less because Quibi's not an industry standard. It clearly has shitty content. Wait, right. Which means that for for every what a hundred people that download the app, only two are go. It's like. That's like what seven percent? Yeah, that's a, that's a little more than seven percent. Yeah, exactly. Well, apparently, maybe even less because of how shit, shitty like right the that, shows are. That's just the industry standard. Yeah, right. That's so, if it had the best content that, possible. That's seven. Like that's it, that would be like if Netflix had free trials of for every a hundred people that sign up for Netflix free trials, only like seven of them actually yeah. convert over to the the subscription. Exactly. And this is Quibi. This is Quibi. So. So, according to research from Parks Associates, um, if it, if that holds true for Quibi, the industry standard, it can mean less than half a million people watching a network that spent hundreds of millions of dollars on content. Uh, quote, we don't know quite what to expect, Whitman said in June. <laughs> so, okay, half, let's see, half a million people, $5 a month, um, that's what, $2.5 million? Yeah. Uh, that barely covers cost of production for like 10 shows. Exactly. And they have 200. Qu- yeah. Quibi plans to spend over a billion dollars on commissioning original content in its first year, totaling 8,500 episodes and including over 175 shows. 
Quibi has already indicated a move away from the mobile-only part as the company is in talks with Amazon Fire and Roku to bring the app to TV. And Quibi could move away from the hard 10-minute caps on episodes, allowing viewers to segment the shows as they please and creators more wiggle room. There is... There's no way out here. You are dead. Yeah, you are like, dead. Do, it does not matter what sort of deals you make or if you switch over to making a deal with Roku or whatever. You are dead. This hole stretches down to fucking Tartarus. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot climb out of here. You will never be in the black. Nope. Uh, so the company anticipates landing just 2 million paying subscribers by the end of this year, which is the company's production projections. That's probably, like, stupidly optimistic. So and t- 2 million subscribers by the end of the year is, like, at the very best, only, that's what, like, $6.2 million? Yeah. Or something? Right, if everyone got the lowest subscription. At the uh, highest. No, 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 at the, at the lowest subscription, 2 million only gets you $10 million. Yes. Which is nothing. At the highest, if everyone's paying for the ad-free, that's, like, $14 million. Right. <laughs> uh, and that's... That is a drop in the bucket for $2 billion. That's the, like... Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's nothing. Um, So even if the company meets this projection of 2 million customers, that will be less than 30% of its first year target of 7.4 million subscribers. That's 25 out of 2,000. Yeah. That's nothing. And so that's where the story of Quibi catches up to now, but it's still an evolving story, so I'm sure there will be an update of this thing... You know, like, as we go on, as it continues to die. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter at D-A-O-C-Cast, Instagram at Desperate Acts of Capitalism, and Tumblr at DesperateActsOfCapitalism.tumblr.com. And remember, next week's episode is up right this moment on our Patreon. Join us there for bonus content, including an entire second podcast, Business Desserts, where Evan and I talk about current business news and whatever we feel like talking about that week. And thank you so much for listening. We love you. Big things are coming.